Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ignited Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lawrence. I believe people and culture are the single greatest competitive advantage in any business. This podcast is a weekly dose of inspiration and practical how-to strategies for transforming the way we learn, grow, and perform at work. So get ready. You're about to learn from the best learning leadership experts on the planet. Let's get after it. On this episode of Ignited Learning, we are honored and excited to have Aurora Aritao, the founder of Thrive in Mind Leadership Group. After 15 years in global product management and tech marketing, in 2011, Aurora redesigned her career to focus on her passion for learning, leadership, and team development. She often describes her eclectic and human-centered design approach as soup-making, developing self-awareness as the soup base, curating and mixing together ingredients like systems, psychodynamics, and design thinking, then seasoning with a bit of salt and pepper ground from science. So in this episode, we're going to cover a lot of best practice ingredients in the field of human development and performance as we blend psychodynamics, neuroscience, systemic team coaching, and design thinking, all backed by science. So get comfortable and lean in as we welcome Aurora to the show. It's going to be a great episode. Aurora, thank you so much for being on the Ignited Learning Podcast. I'm happy you're here. Thanks for having me, Steve. So let's start by introducing you to our audience. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. So I am based in Hong Kong, where I work as an organizational consultant, executive coach, and learning facilitator. I'm also the founder of Thrive in Mind, a human capital consultancy, which is focused fundamentally on the human dimension of organizational change and growth. How did you get involved in the leadership development coaching industry? Yes. So I started out basically leading teams for tech and and telecom companies like Microsoft and the Vodafone Group. And so I was always about the product and I was always about the P&L. And, you know, eventually 15 years of that, I thought, well, maybe it's time to think things through and see what's next. And the one thing that I appreciated the most about my work as a leader of teams is that human dimension. It's about developing young people and learning from the best leaders and learning how to manage, you know, multiple priorities and harmonizing diverse teams. And so I thought, well, I'd like to sort of slow down and have kids, but at the same time, I really want to still be part of that world. Mm. And so I thought, well, what about I kind of step out of the, the, the center of that, but actually still develop and hone my skills on leadership development. So that's where my passion is. And that's, that's what I'm now doing full time. What part of your business do you like the most? What lights you up? I like the fact that when you are a consultant and coach and you run your own business, you have a ton of autonomy and, you know, autonomy really is a strong motivator for me. So I like the fact that I can integrate different things, you know, cook things up in a soup and put some salt and pepper on it, <laughs> depending on <laughs> depending on what clients need. 
So when I left Microsoft, I actually went back to school and did an executive master's at INSEAD, and I studied system psychodynamics. That's kind of intense because it is about a little bit about the unconscious, a little bit about finding out what's lurking under the surface. But what I do with that is I blend that with contemporary and modern leadership principles. And so that design bit, integrating different things and curating the best tools to serve the need of a particular client is something that I really, really enjoy. I also love working with other like-minded people like yourself, Steve. So I get a, a lot of motivation from collaborating with other consultants and coaches and co-creating with them. And the third one probably is just feedback from clients. When you hear clients say to you after a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, that was hard. You know, I say to myself, well, maybe he didn't quite get to where he wanted to be, but perhaps that might also be a sign that he had gone into some uncharted territory. And that's that's a good thing. Change is uncomfortable. And uh, so, you know, I get a kick out of that as well. And what are some of the challenges that your clients are having today? And another way of putting it is, what sorts of problems are you solving? There's a variety of mm -hmm. uh, symptoms, let's just say. But there is sometimes a common theme, this whole thing about awareness. You know, it's something that pops up quite often, especially nowadays with, with the amount of data and information that we're processing, we are struggling to pay a lot of attention. And so the, the process of just creating that safe space first for clients to go within and just mm -hmm. check in on themselves to see right. how am I doing? And maybe to work on that foundational level of self-awareness, you know, checking in on what drives me? What do I find challenging? You know, what do I run away from? What am I capable of? Uh, I think this is something that is a common theme across the board. And when you are able to, as a change agent, create that space of hopefully trust and safety where they can open up and, and address those issues first, then you can create the building blocks on top of that and tackle more complex issues like executive presence or you know how to influence upwards and so on. Awareness is so important, not only of self, but of your team and beyond the team within the, the whole organization, right? Because I do know you're a systemic team coaching practitioner where we look at multiple layers. Is that correct? Absolutely. Well, the, the middle core of that, as I said, is, is the self. And I, I like to start there. It's worth it then to look at the interpersonal relationships as a next step. And in that process, understanding the role, how it relates to the system. Mm -hmm. So we're sort of opening up to the um, kind of stakeholder groups, clients and partners and communities that you serve. I really like this simple idea of, you know, starting from the core, starting with the self and opening up to your team, the organization, partners, customers, and, and the ecosystem. I'm a manager or leader in organization, and I want to create more awareness amongst my people. What would you suggest or recommend to, you know, a typical leader in an organization for building awareness? Yeah. So I'm a little bit of a geek, I have to say. And, you know, I rely a lot on science to make mm -hmm. sense of all of that. I think we are sort of bombarded by so many tools. 
There's a lot of recent brain research, um, Steve, including that of, I don't know if you know, Professor Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's written a great book and she's been doing a lot of research um, about the brain. And now we know that the brain's most important task is to actually run our body budgets. So the brain tells us how much glucose or, or how much dopamine and adrenaline our body needs to survive. And this process called allostasis the brain does this body budgeting through prediction. Okay. So our brain is actually always scanning the environment for data to use, mm-hmm. to predict what might happen next and plan our action. So it receives data from the external environment, you know, the sound of a book just falling or ray of light coming through the window, and it blends it with our internal data, our memories, in fact of our past experiences. And together, the external and the internal, we predict what might happen next. And what sometimes happens here is that we get it wrong. We might read something like a body language or a facial expression of our colleague or our coachee, Mm. and we might be very empathetic at that moment and say, you know what, you seem upset, or I know how you must feel. But again, when we base our interpretation of other people's emotions on their body language or their facial expression, yeah. uh, we need to remember that in our brain, some of that is actually based on our own experiences and not just what you see. So it's a combination of what we see and what we hear or feel, plus yeah. our own stuff, our own history, our own experience. So What might seem to us as a sad frown may actually be someone being really pensive, just thinking very seriously and concentrating to understand. So we sometimes get it wrong. And, you know, a lot of the times when I talk to leaders, they may bring to the table issues like, you know, people don't understand me, like I offend people. I'm trying my best and and still people don't warm up to me because they are backed by years and years of hard work and research. I think sometimes it's good to introduce those concepts to coaching because they can open up more possibilities, perhaps, you know, a better understanding of how we actually function, uh, hopefully might have more of an impact. So when you, so when you bring in this brain research or neuroscience, you're saying this helps people get back to the basics of just being more more aware of their awareness, if I'm saying that right? Basically, just focusing on the fact of just being human and that we make mistakes. And actually, when we make those mistakes, in fact, the options are that we adjust our behavior after we make those mistakes. And by adjusting our behavior, we're creating new wiring in the brain so that next time we can try something different. And by the way, that, that is learning. That's why I love design thinking. And it, a lot of these more progressive approaches are telling us it's okay to make a mistake. Just go out there and do it. Release something and learn from it and try again. The one thing I've learned from design thinking as well is the first step being um, empathy. Ask questions, find out what customers really need, because if we just assume what their needs are, well, we will get it wrong. We may be just predicting what that might be. In design thinking, they always preach 
put needs always before the solution, never solutions before the needs, because almost always what you think is the solution is not the solution. It's something else. I totally agree with that. And you'll probably find that the most successful companies out there who have endured the challenges of our times are those that have either always been or shifted to customer centricity. Because if you have a customer centric strategy in your organization, that is the core of your business. The core of your business is the customer and understanding their needs. I'm curious. I know you've been a developing design thinking practitioner and and bringing this into your practice as a coach and a, a leadership development expert. As you build your body of knowledge around design and design thinking, what has surprised you or what have you found really interesting in the field of design thinking and how have you brought that into your practice? Yeah, so I I kind of like the freshness of the process, um, and it's quite simple to follow. But since the beginning of my interest with design thinking, I think what really surprised me is my appreciation for teams and collaboration. Well, before I got interested in team coaching, I was already learning about how teams can actually be a very critical agent for change. I find when I'm coaching one-on-one that sometimes I face these challenges at the end of these assignments with executives that I know they're going to go back to the team and the system that they work in and adapt the learning into those systems. So one-on-one coaching can be a bit limited if you don't have influence around the system and the team. So I think the team as a unit for me, I find as more influential um, Mm -hmm. and can be really strategically powerful uh, for change. You know, I feel like design thinking already had the arc of change very much in motion, appreciating that teams can be dynamic, not static, and you can have multiple team memberships and maybe sometimes fuzzy boundaries. Um, Of course, the conversation around machine-human interactions and and things like that in the situation that we are in now where, uh, you know, we're having to manage teams in, in very different ways. You have teams that are permanently working from home now or that are switching between home and office. There's so much change that are going on right now that you want that sort of simplicity well, I, I mean, I, I definitely know you have a lot of momentum in both the design and the team space, and it's nice how you're merging those together. So how do you like to make a difference for your clients today? What's your favorite way to make a difference? Okay, so I've talked about sort of my geekiness around uh, brain science and how I introduce that. I also like in the line of uh, using science as a as a kind of the salt and pepper uh, oh. on the soup. Um <laughs> I bring in a lot of uh, biology as well. But a few years ago, maybe 2017, I was in San Francisco. I got involved in this study around leadership effectiveness. To cut the long story short, I became a participant in this experiment where we were asked to spit into a vial after 30 minutes, we were given script uh, and I was given a role in a negotiation activity. Not much else was explained to us. It was just that, okay, you you spit here and then you engage in this uh, negotiation task. After negotiating, we we actually did it again. We, we spit again in this vial. What they were measuring before and after the negotiation was actually the amount of testosterone and cortisol 
uh, that were running in our system. And in summary, they had a hypothesis that leadership effectiveness has something to do with the amount of testosterone, which is responsible for drive, and cortisol, which is involved in stress. Uh, the summary of that and what's consistently appeared in many more uh, experiments like that was that the ideal combination uh, for leadership effectiveness is to have increasing levels of testosterone. By the way, women have testosterone too, <laughs> sure. but with lowering levels of cortisol. And so, of course, it's no surprise that, you know, we want um, less stress in our lives, but that really opened my eyes and, and whet my appetite to do further research on that topic. And in fact, that became a topic for me in my thesis at INSEAD as well, where I've added some new elements to that study, looking at how mindfulness might be a moderator of that um, relationship and things like personality. So, uh, you know, how do I make a difference? I'm not sure. You better ask my clients about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to do and I'm hoping to do is sort of just use new knowledge, latest research, make it more interesting and fun and, you know, make it really basic and foundational. Like, how do we understand our body and our mind and our brain and how that can help us to lead? Testosterone and cortisol. That's really fascinating. How much testosterone should you have or how much cortisol should you not have? Are there any measures on that? Like what, how do you describe optimum balance? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I don't think I, I can give you an answer. I think there's a baseline for every person. So your baseline testosterone would be different from mine and your baseline cortisol would be different from mine. So the reason why they tested it at the start and at the end of the negotiation activity is because they were measuring the movement, whether it's increasing through um, the task or if it was decreasing through the task. So I was a participant in that uh, experiment and I had a fairly high testosterone actually, but uh, I also had some increasing um, levels of cortisol at the time. And so what they are looking for are correlations of that type of profile with how well I did in the negotiation. Did I win or lose or did I find a win-win result? with my partner. Super interesting. Wow. That is, that, that is fascinating. <sighs> mindfulness. Can we talk about mindfulness? Very topical given, uh, given COVID and the challenges we're all facing. How might organizations think about mindfulness and encourage their teams to embrace it just a little bit more? Yes, we all need more mindfulness. Um, here's my take on it. I yeah. actually really cannot meditate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's just my brain that's always wanting to chat along or the fact that I have two toddlers and I can't find a quiet space and that, you know, my work is also very demanding and I like to go out and be active. So I've been trying to have a formal meditation practice for probably about 10 years now, hmm. and I'm still really struggling with it. And the way I've addressed that issue is that I've found another researcher connected with Harvard University, Ellen Langer, 
Ellen Langer is basically the the founder of um, mindfulness without meditation. Very simple. You actually also move into a mindful state of being aware of the present moment if you develop a habit of noticing what's new just noticing what's new. And there's always something new. So for example, when you're walking to work and it's the usual path from the bus stop or from the train station, switch your mind to a mode where you're looking for what's new in your environment. And in that moment where you're noticing novel things, you're being very mindful. What I have been doing instead is spending as much time as I can noticing what's new in my environment. And it doesn't matter if it's the same old office, the same old room. I bet you'll find something novel in every moment in in your life. More recently, I have also started a slightly different practice, same, same vein, where I spend five minutes or six minutes every day to just close my eyes and do nothing. Um, It's basically just sort of relaxing my mind, but I'm not giving myself that sort of extra task of meditation. So I'm sort of inching my way back into trying to do more formal meditation. But for now, I'm actually gaining a lot of benefit already from just spending five or six minutes every day just closing my eyes and thinking of nothing, you know, not planning anything, not worrying about anything, not thinking about anything, just doing nothing. Ah, that's beautiful. You know, talking about what's new, a friend of mine offered the five senses to notice what's new. And I think they call it the the five, four, three, two, one, where they say, what are five new things that you see? What are four new things that you can hear? What are three new things that you can touch? Two new things you can taste (laughs) or smell, a smell. And then I think it was, I think it was taste, but it was just kind of a a secondary lens to get even more distinctions of how to see new things. Um, But uh, that, that is a great concept. I I can't wait to try that. In fact, I'm going to try it this afternoon after this, uh, after this call. Perfect. (laughs) So um, what are you working on now and what's lighting you up? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that, you know, I believe teams are the indispensable agent of change. So what lights me up right now is thinking about, you know, how to redesign collaboration in this new world order. You know, before Mm. the pandemic, I think teams were already adapting to a lot of technological and social developments, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, moving from from static to dynamic teams, clearly delineated to fuzzy boundaries from organization as context to ecosystem as context. So we were already learning about these things. But we are in the eye of the storm right now with teams. And, you know, the question for me is how can we continue to manage this barrage of change that is happening, more hybridity in teams, and still have that connection, still be able to build trust and fairness and motivation in teams. So that's really what's lighting me up at the moment. I'm reading up a lot about it. We need to evolve the way that we manage and motivate teams in this new world order. 
Mm. And what's your take on Peter Hawkins' five disciplines model? You know, it's one of those models, uh, again, that is, you know, at, at the high level is actually fairly simple. And I've presented this to clients in the past. What I would like to say, though, is that um, like with anything that we do in this field, we start where the customer is. And so what I like about the model as well is that it doesn't really tell you you need to start from this seat. Mm. The reality is that a lot of teams think of these kinds of activities and interventions as team building. So when you talk to them about team coaching and when you're pitching it in their head, they're thinking, yeah, we need some team building. Mm. So you may want to just sort of maybe be flexible at that point and meet them where they are. And in the process of spending time with that leader or leadership team, educate them around, you know, the richness of team coaching and, and for example, five C's. Now, recently I worked with a team where, you know, they wanted training, but when we actually, you know, that's the terminology they used. But when I was doing the inquiry with them, it was this rich pool of challenges and opportunities, most involving interpersonal challenges. And so I went ahead and, and delivered. And the feedback I received from them is that the distinction between team dynamics, which is the focus of uh, 5Cs as well, and team building was really stark for them. In fact, I think sometimes they won't really appreciate the power of team coaching until they experience it. And so great to have the model. It's great to have a conversation using the model. But I think the real work is showing them and allowing teams to experience, you know, the difference of having team dynamics as a focus, because in team dynamics, of course, the subject is them. They mm -hmm. are the subject. Uh, and you're working with the relationships between the members of the team. That's right. Now, if I, if I recall... The five C's model by Peter Hawkins, the first C is the commissioning, right? Uh, the commissioning is kind of your marching orders, discovering your purpose, what you're, what you're after. The clarifying is more about your goals, objectives, roles within the organization. And then the third C is um, co-creating, right? The way we relate and communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Fourth C is connecting. I believe that is the stakeholder piece around how your team connects with other teams in the broader ecosystem. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, the fifth C. Co-learning. Co-learning. Ding, 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 ding. My favorite. <laughs> I actually do love the co-learning piece. And that's one of the pieces that is almost always forgotten. It's like, how are we evolving? Otherwise, we're just going to keep playing the same game, right? That's right. Exactly. No. Co-learning, pretty important. Well, at the same time that it's it's uh, sometimes forgotten, it's also the one that probably has a version already in use within the organization. And typically, you know, it's that sort of tra traditional training. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity there is actually to create a new way of sharing um, and supporting each other, breaking down those silos that often exist in teams. Aurora, where are you headed next? That's a great question. And you probably won't be surprised that it will be in relation to teams again. Uh, I really want to deepen my knowledge and practice in the area of trust building and uh, eventually culture transformation, which starts from teams and teams of teams. I find that 
culture is an elusive concept. Uh, it's hard to put into words, but it's again very powerful. And trust building is becoming ever more challenging with this hybridity that we're talking about and the constant change. But what we know is that trust building creates competitive advantage. We know that companies with higher employee engagement on average have a 22% increase in profitability. The other thing about trust is that trust begets trust. In order to establish a culture of trust, there must be an individual who's willing to take the first leap. And to create trust, one must engage in trustworthy action. This is something that is probably very difficult to think about right now as we're all you know, making sense of the chaos but I still hold it as a one key critical ingredient in building authentic organizations. That's a, that's a great insight. In order to create trust, you need to go first. Absolutely. Well, as coaches, we are often on the front lines with our clients, right? And um, sometimes, you know, I challenge myself to become that role model for mm how to communicate and how to behave and how to nurture uh, relationships. I see a lot of conflict in the, the themes that come through in coaching. And it's complicated. It's complex, right? Because you're in a somewhat of a political environment when you're working organizations. So trust can be a very challenging area um, to talk about. Uh, you know, we face a world right now that uh, feels at times very divisive, but I think that because of that, trust building is key to fostering collaboration, healing, and moving us forward. Mm, beautiful. Aurora, thank you so much. We're coming to the end of our time. How might our audience get in touch with you if they have questions? Thank you, Steve. So uh, they can come to our website, uh, www.thriveinmind.com. And there's a link there to book an exploratory call. So just click on that and, and choose a date and time, and we will get back to them. Otherwise, we're on all of the social media as well, LinkedIn and Instagram, Facebook, and so on. Or they can send us an email at info at thriveinmind.com. Aurora, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for all your wisdom and insights and uh, taking the time uh, to be with us today. It's been wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ignited Learning Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at ignited-learning.com. Thanks for listening.